On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in a very early morning edition of New York, New York, live from Fenway Park here in Boston, Massachusetts. And you can now put this particular game on the list, July the 23rd, 2021, as yet another candidate for a nominee, if you will. Worst loss of the year for the New York Yankees, losing a crushing crushing, crushing game to the Boston Red Sox by the score of 5-4. to four. No other way to slice it or dice it, folks. That is a soul-crushing type of game. You get a brilliant start from Jordan Montgomery. Why Aaron Boone is taking Jordan Montgomery out of the game when he's retiring nine guys in a row and is cruising. I don't care if there was an hour rain delay or not. Let Montgomery pitch, for goodness sakes. That was a move that kind of backfired, but it's not the reason the Yankees lost this game. This was supposed to be another day in which we are basking in the glory of the little engine that could Yankees, the small ball Yankees, who did a lot of good things despite all the strikeouts on offense. Sending DJ LeMayu, bunting Rugnet Odor, Glaber Torres hitting a sack fly. Brett Gardner hitting a sack fly. It is the sort of offensive approach that we have been craving for the Yankees all season long. They were three outs away. No, let me rephrase. They were one out away from getting what would have been one of their best wins of the year, and it would have allowed them in many ways to set a tone for this particular series. That went out the window when Chad Green basically urinates all over himself. Let's call it like it is. 
Green, we can talk about Boney taking Monty out of the game, move I didn't like. We can get to the embarrassment of Krisky, who had four wild pitches, which, oh, by the way, would not be acceptable in the men's league on Staten Island. Yankees, Red Sox, four wild pitches. Embarrassing. But that's neither here nor there. This game was lost. Ninth inning. Chad Green has to do a job. Point blank, simple as that. He's up 0-2 on Dahlbeck. Dahlbeck ropes the base hit. Way too good a pitch. And even before Kike Hernandez ties the game, Pawecki, who can't hit at all, anybody who watched the Mets knows the deal with Kevin Pawecki. He is a weak-hitting catcher. He hit a P right at Brett Gardner. Green has got to be better. Green melted. And this is now the second time in about two weeks where Chad Green has had an opportunity to get the Yankees a monster win, and he has failed. Now, I know he had the immaculate inning. I know he stepped in for all this Chapman. Green can't close. Chapman, for better or worse, is going to be the closer for this team. And I think Aaron Boone told you that if you watch the Philadelphia series. Chapman pitched two days in a row. Can't go three days straight. And I'm not going to kill Aaron Boone for bringing Green in the game. He's rested. I wanted to see him yesterday. You can't allow Hernandez to hit a missile up the left center field gap. So put it on the list now for the Yankees. And I've read you the laundry list of losses that have been soul crushes this year. And I feel like I'm at all of them. Holy shit, I'm at every single one of these games. And no, it's not me. Because I don't make the pitches. Normally, I have good juju when I'm in the building. But I was at the Angel debacle. I was at the Met debacle. And now I'm at this one. The only game I wasn't at was down in Houston. I wasn't at the 6-5 run lead, whatever the hell it was. I wasn't there. You have to wonder with this Yankee team, how many of these losses can they survive? How many? This is a brutal way to start off this four-game series. And I was talking about it with Saruti. We made the trip up. The seats are phenomenal. Fenway Park is phenomenal. Listen, I can't stand the Red Sox. This park is great. Everybody here was great. Lansdowne was hopping. Stadium was hopping. There was an intensity in this ballpark. Edge of your seat, very, very entertaining game that just went right down the tubes with two outs in the ninth inning. But I was saying to Saruti in the ninth inning, what a win this would be for the Yankees. And how this is exactly the way you would want to start this series. Stanton coming through in a big spot. Big situational hitting. Finding ways to manufacture runs. That goes out the window now, folks. In a way, you almost would be better off losing this game 8-1. to one. I, I, I'm dead serious. You lose this game 8-1, to one, you know, it's easy to go to sleep. You got smoked, you live with it, you move on. It's another missed opportunity. And when you are now eight games behind the Boston Red Sox, you can't afford that. When every game is so crucial in trying to get yourself back into the playoff race, you can't afford that. I feel like I got kicked in the balls again! 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 You would think I'd be numb to it. 
I was into this game. Maybe it's because I came up here. Maybe it's because, you know, I had a little extra pep in my step being at Fenway Park. I mean, this place, you love baseball. It's going to it's gonna get the blood going a little bit. And I say that in a complimentary way. Oh, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. You know, I thought I'd get a good night's sleep, Starbucks in the morning, doing a McGregor walk around Boston at least for a day. Well, that's out. Now I feel like I'm going to be doing the walk of shame like I was coming back from Syracuse leaving, uh, you don't even want to know. Hideous, hideous loss for the Yankees. I want to see how this team responds. And Garrett Cole, last Saturday, with the Yankees coming off a shutout, pitched his ass off. They're going to need that from Cole later on tonight. Garrett Cole has to be brilliant for the Yankees to win this game. I like their approach on offense. They're not waiting for the home run. They can't wait for the home run with this lineup. They just can't. They don't, they don't have the guns. They don't have the horses. You need seven innings of two-run baseball from Garrett Cole tomorrow. You're paying him $300-plus million. The last time he pitched at Fenway Park, he was absolutely awful. And he's my dude. He's one of the Yankees that all year has brought the heat and has brought the intensity. I would get out and dodge if I'm a Yankee fan with a split in this series. And I said that last night to anybody who was, you know, running into my company. Because I know a lot of Yankee fans aren't going to want to hear this. This is reality. The Yankees are not catching the Red Sox. And the Yankees are not catching the Rays. Despite their favorable schedule in August, they are not catching those two teams. Especially with Tampa, by the way, getting a lot better by going and getting a guy like Nelson Cruz, who, mark my words, will hit at least one big home run against the Yankees coming up this week. At least. What a brilliant move by the Rays, who always seem to be a step ahead when it comes to this sort of stuff. The Yankees' only avenue, the way I see it, in getting into the postseason is the second wild card. That's how the Yankees are getting in the playoffs. They're catching Oakland. It's not ideal. It's actually quite embarrassing thinking about what the narrative was at the start of the year. Quite embarrassing. But that's where we're at. You can't get buried in these next six games. They got off to a good start here. Have to be fair about that. They took two or three from Boston at home. They won the two games against Philadelphia. This is a kick in the balls. It is. How are they going to get off the mat? You got the right guy on the mound, but think about what would have been in front of you if you had Cole going off a win. Off a winning, what, four out of five. Changes things. Changes things. This is going to be a very telling, I think, six-game stretch for the Yankees who I think are going to add to this team. I do not think they are giving up on the 2021 season. So the rumor that was out earlier today about Trevor Story. And, you know, I saw it someplace. I forget where off the top of my head. I mean, my brain is kind of fried, to be honest with you, after everything I've just watched here from this wonderful stadium. But I saw a rumor that Story, at least according to one contender, they're interested in maybe putting him in center field. You know, Story's a good player. He's a right that strikes out a ton. It's like Gallo. He's a lefty that strikes out a ton. I'm done with the guys that strike out a zillion times on the Yankees. I can't. I can't. I can't. 
That's why at least I was able to watch this game for eight plus innings. And I saw some really encouraging signs. I mean, guys, I, I, I get more excited now when I see a sack fly than I do when I see a 500-foot bomb. I'm not even kidding. And if you watch the Yankees, you understand what I'm saying. I'm no fan of this manager. I've been very critical of this manager all year. I give him credit for this. He's realizing I need to do something different. I have no choice. That's got to be the offensive approach for the Yankees for the rest of this year. But my goodness, go off trying to get to sleep. I'm not going to get to sleep. Sickening, sickening, sickening loss. And add it to the list. 2021 Yankees and 2021 Yankees with John Zustremski in the building. Oh, my goodness. What a horror show. What a horror show. With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can upgrade your home with up to $2,400 off select kitchen packages from top brands like Maytag. Enhance your kitchen with the exclusive Maytag French door refrigerator and fingerprint-resistant stainless steel only at the Home Depot. And with dual power filtration on the Maytag Tall Tub dishwasher, you can skip soaking and scrubbing. Right now, get Memorial Day savings up to $2,400 off select kitchen packages at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Pricing valid May 16th through June 5th. U.S. only. See store online for details. We'll get to the Mets and their weekend coming up with the Blue Jays. We'll have Jay Billis in a little bit. We'll do all the draft stuff, but I, I, I got to regather my thoughts. We'll hit some voicemails and we'll set the stage for the Mets. That's coming up next. So before we get to the Mets, I have absolutely no problem with Aaron Boone going to Chad Green in the ninth inning. None whatsoever. I know Cesar was dominant, weak contact, five or six pitch hitting. That is such a classic second guess. Green has been one of your best relievers all year. If you don't bring him in that game and Sessa melts down, everyone's killing Boone. Well, how do you not bring Green in that game? I have a far bigger problem with seeing Krisky come in the game and throw four wild pitches. And I don't understand for the life of me how Justin Wilson is warming up, and yet Justin Wilson cannot come in in the pitch. I mean, uh, explain that one to me. He's warming up, but he's in emergency duty. How does that make sense? Bizarre. Very bizarre. One other note on the manager. Who dropped the ball by taking Montgomery out, and that kind of set off the chain of events. But again, not the reason they lost. What are you doing? Runner on third, one out. Not setting up a double play. You need two outs. You might as well set up the double play. Infuriating. And don't lose sight on this, folks. The Yankees said goodbye to Adovino, and I had no problem with that. I said, dump him. He was gutless. He couldn't pitch in big games. Time to go. But they dump him to the Red Sox. You finally get to him tonight. Two guys you were counting on to really solidify this bullpen, O'Day and Wilson, and both have been monumental flops, and I wanted both. So I'll take the L on that too, Brian Cashman. I wanted both. They both have stunk. Wilson can't find a guy, and O'Day's done for the year. Now, Seems like it's on a much lighter note because the Mets are coming off winning two out of three against the Cincinnati Reds. And Marcus Stroman was brilliant the other day. I asked him to go and back it up with a big-time effort. He gave you eight innings of one-hit baseball. So I give credit where credit is due. Job well done, Marcus Stroman. Now Marcus Stroman will get to face his old team. He won't pitch against them, but the Mets will be taking on the Toronto Blue Jays Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And... Toronto's a challenging team because they score a ton of runs. 
Vladdy Jr., Bo Bichette, now the return of George Springer. This is a lineup that's going to pack a punch coming into this weekend. And how about the storyline right out of the gate on Friday? Steven Matz, the former Met, who has been Matz-esque. He wasn't as much of a disaster as he was last year, but he's what he is. He's a fourth or fifth starter. He's eight and four, basically, with a four and a half ERA. Matt's taking the ball on Friday night. Fascinating. Fascinating. I'll be watching Garrett Cole, but that's a game I'll be keeping tabs on. You got Walker against his old team with Ryu. So tough spot for the Mets on Saturday with Ryu. And then on Sunday, Stripling's going, who stinks. Mets, TBD, trying to figure out what's going on with their rotation. The Mets desperately need a boost between now and July 31st, whether it's Carlos Carrasco coming back or it's a trade for a veteran pitcher. And I think with the Cruz move, you're going to start to see this flurry of activity really pick up between now and July 31st. The Mets should be prioritizing adding an arm. To me, they have enough on offense. If they get a Donaldson or a Bryant, great. It's gravy. Pitching, to me, is where this team needs a boost. They need another arm in this rotation. Maybe it's Carrasco. Maybe it's Syndergaard. But maybe it's outside the organization. Because, guys, as we know, are dropping like flies. And there's no news. And there's no update with Jacob DeGrom. Tough, tough stretch of games for the Mets. Toronto going into what's going to be a pivotal series for them with a doubleheader mixed in against the Atlanta Braves. You're going to find out if the Mets are going to grow that lead within the division or it's going to get super tight and super intense over the final two months of the year. All right, voicemail time. And the beauty of the platform that we have is that, you know, I noticed the calls were coming in hot and heavy because Saruti's sitting right next to me. I didn't hear any of them. All I know is as soon as that game went final, yeah, we got a bunch of calls coming in. So if you called early and you were positive and you were giddy about the Yankees like I was, my apologies. We're probably not getting to you on this particular podcast because the narrative changed a little bit. The storyline changed a little bit and not in a good way. Just saying, not in a good way. 917-382-1151 is our voicemail number for those of you keeping score at home. Okay. Voicemails. Let's hear them. Let's go. Hey, JJ. This is Eric from Syracuse. And uh, I'll let the other voicemailers break down this horrible game. But all I can say is I'm just marking off the days until uh, – Football starts, I can completely uh, check out of this godforsaken team. So um, go Cuse football, go Raiders. Peace. Oh, geez, Eric. I mean, you're holding your hat on the Raiders and Dino Baber's Syracuse football team? Bro, I'm sorry. You're going to have a long winter. <laughs> you having a long summer? At least the weather is nice. When you're dealing with those snowy winters in Syracuse, New York, Syracuse football is going to be like three and seven four and eight, and you're going to be cursing out John Gruden and Derek Carr. And the Raiders are probably going to give up 45 points every single game. I am not a fan of the Raiders going into the year. Not in the least. Yeah, the Yankees have given you every reason to want to check out on the season. I totally get that. Second wild card is going to keep tormenting you. And you know what? I know a lot of people probably into this game Thursday night because of what the Yankees did against Boston at home and because of what they did against Philadelphia. You're one out away from feeling really, really good. Boy, did things change. Who's up next? JJ, Justin in Floral Park. 
I've said this a million times about Chad Green. I cannot stand this fucking guy. Every big spot this guy comes in in the ninth inning, he blows it up, spits the bit every time. I don't care that he gets people out in the seventh, the sixth, the eighth inning even. This guy, every time the game's on the line, he spits the bit every time. This guy is sitting dead red ball head and fastball from uh, Kiki Hernandez. So it's right over the plate. Doesn't have his fastball. Guy is just a terrible, terrible pitcher. And I do not like this guy. Do not trust this guy. I'd rather take my chances with Sessa. Then, in the 10th inning, there's this garbage pail. I don't even know who the hell this guy is. Okay, he miraculously gets Martinez out. And then Moron Boone doesn't walk uh, Renfro for a double play. Possibility. All the guys do is hit a fly ball. Fucking Boone is clueless. It's a terrible loss. And again, I'll take it to my grave. This Red Sox team, yeah, they're gritty, but they're nothing. They're not this fucking good. And you can tell your boss that too. Later. Justin, I feel your pain. Now, we're going to disagree on Chad Green. Chad Green's been a very good reliever, and he's been a key component of the Yankee bullpen for the last five years. Do I love him closing games? No, I don't. You have to have a certain makeup to be able to close successfully. Some guys are just better suited to being in middle relief, being in a setup role. Chad Green strikes me as one of those guys that's better being in the setup role. That's number one. Number two, the pitch selection, I think, was even worse with Dalbeck as opposed to Hernandez. Hernandez, listen, Green's a fastball pitcher. He's going to throw his fastball, even though Kike is a dead red fastball hitter. Dalbeck, you're up in the count all and two. Way too good a pitch. And then Krisky, I mean, listen, even though the Yankees score in the top half of the 10th, I see Krisky coming up. I'm like, oh, geez, best case scenario, the Yankees getting out of this tie. And he didn't give up a hit. Four wild pitches in an inning. If I saw that in the men's league, I'd be upset. Seriously. If that happened down at Corv Lakes or at the Berry Homes, I'd probably be uh, yelling and screaming from right field. Back to my old men's league days. I, I might have been. So that was painful to watch. I felt bad for Krisky, who should not be a big leaguer. And could you imagine if he played for the Yankees when George Steinbrenner were on the team? I mean, he'd be as good as gone tomorrow. I don't even think he'd be able to sleep in a hotel tonight. That was a sad performance. Guy shouldn't be here. Case closed. Shouldn't be here. Shouldn't even be on the 40 for that matter. Who's next? What's up, JJ? Joe, Manhattan. Watch the Yankees lose another game to the fucking Red Sox. And I don't know how much longer I can do this, man. I mean, this is what? The fourth, fifth, sixth, like, most brutal loss you can take over the year? It's one of the worst Yankee teams I've ever seen. I don't know why I'm wasting my nights watching this fucking team. Is it worth it watching them the rest of the year? Even if they make the playoffs, they're not going to fucking do anything. I don't, I, I'm at a loss, man. I don't know what to do. Should, should I give up? Is there still hope? I don't, uh, I don't know. Let me know what you think. Thanks. It's funny that you asked me this question because somebody tweeted at me last night. I saw it right before I went to bed, right before I got on the flight to Boston. Somebody had tweeted at me, JJ or the Yankees back asking for a friend. And my response was no, but ask me again come Sunday. I'm going to stand by that. The Yankees would show me something, folks, if they go and win two out of three now after this gut punch. And you're so right. They've given you no reason to believe that they're going to do anything this year. 
I am not confident that they're going to be a playoff team. They have an uphill climb there. And no, my confidence is not high that they're going to do damage and, and have a successful run in the postseason. I Not from what I've seen three and a half, four months into this year. I'd be stunned. But I'm not giving up because that's what we do. We watch these games night after night. We're not in football season yet. Football season is still, you know, seven, eight weeks away. So my summer nights are going to be spent watching the Yanks or watching the Mets. My rooting interest is with one. And they've done nothing but drive me to drink all season long. So I'd say keep watching. But uh, grab the Pepto-Bismol. My advice. Who's next? John, Dave from Queens. Let's start again. Brooks Krisky, one-third of an inning, wild pitches, four. And I believe one pass ball. Chad Green blew his sixth. Fucking game of the year. You thought the game in Houston was bad? Try tonight. Seven games out coming into this series. Seven at the end of July. But you got to nurse guys. Can't pitch Chapman three days in a row. No, no, no. It's against the Mike Fishman rules up in analytics. Can't pitch Britain three days in a row. You know, Zach, he's a little tender with the shoulder and, and the elbow and then the Achilles. We did pay him a zillion dollars, but Biggest game of the year, we can't use them. You know what, Boone? Fuck you. And you know what, analytics guy Fishman? Fuck you. And Cashman, I'll give you the last one. You you should be fired. You are an overrated, 20 years, one championship, $200 million waste of a general manager. Good night. A whole lot of anger, a whole lot of profanity there, and I can understand why. Green didn't pitch yesterday. Green didn't pitch yesterday, and I was livid about it. They had him set up to pitch this game today. Now, the idea hearing about Chapman pitching, yes. I would have preferred, you know, one of those guys gives it a go on three, you know, three days in a row. They're not going to do that. I mean, that's just the thing throughout baseball. The Yankees most certainly are not going to do that. Chad Green's got to do his job. He's had a good statistical year, but he's had some meltdowns. And now he's had two in the last three weeks right out of the All-Star break here against Boston, and right before the All-Star break against the Astros. How many of these losses can you have over the course of the year? I mean, it's a, it is an honest question to have. How many of these losses can you have over the course of this year? I, you tell me. And I don't want to rattle them off again because it's only going to make me even more angry. I did that already. I'm not doing it again. I've probably done it like 10 zillion times. Infuriating. One thing to lose. Yankees lose this game 9-1. I'm not losing any sleep. You got a two-run lead in the ninth inning, and you're one out of way, and you lose again? And then to boot, you got to watch four wild pitches uh, in extra innings. <laughs> That's the kicker. Jeez. Rare and start here. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Who's next? Here's all I'm going to say about the Yankees the last few games. And by the way, it's Anthony and Syosset. Okay. You cannot, like, I understand that these kids are up here now because of what happened with, with the, the virus protocols, which, again, you know, don't get me started with that. I, I don't want to. You cannot tell me that the way this team was playing before versus the way they played in the last few games, you cannot tell me that once all these guys are ready to come back, 
that you're sending everybody down. And I'm just going to name one, and it's this kid, Allen, uh, number 22, uh, uh, Greg Allen, whatever the hell his name is. All of a sudden, you have actually got a legitimate base dealer, speedster on the team. Legitimate. Legitimate. Not like Gardner, God bless him for everything that he's done who can't steal base anymore. Not like Wade, who's worried more about the Instagram. This kid, Allen, on the base path is a game changer. And I get that it's only been a few games. But there's a different style of ball play that this godforsaken team has been playing with these kids up. So you cannot tell me, you sabermetric fucks with your iPads, you cannot tell me that once Urshela and Judge and, and, and Higashioka and all these guys are ready to come back, that you say to these guys, all right, thank you for your service and send them back down. No, 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 fuck boy, fuck face. You have found a different way of playing games, and you have found a different way of winning games. So, again, Aaron Judge comes back. You're sticking him in right field. I get it. Frazier with whatever the hell's going on with his eyes, he's engaged, whatever, God bless. And Gardner, stop. I just gave you two spots right there that this kid Allen can fill in. You better figure out a fucking way to keep these fast kids on the team. That's all I'm going to say right now. Because if not, because if not, and you and your fucking iPads can go fuck yourselves. Anthony, not a fan of sabermetrics. Anthony was certainly not a fan of the iPads. I like my iPad, by the way. I didn't bring it with me to Boston, but I kind of like mine. So I hope Anthony is not going to jump down my throat. I was thinking about this, Anthony. And you were right about the brand of baseball that the Yankees are playing. They're far more aggressive on the bases. They're trying to make shit happen. You have to respect that. I think Allen provides that sort of spark. I think Odor has provided that sort of spark. And Judge is coming back. He's your right fielder. You need Aaron Judge. Allen has got to play. And it should come at the expense of Brett Gardner unless you tell me the Yankees are going to go get an athletic center fielder between now and July 31st. I would say when Judge comes back off the COVID list, Judge is in right field. I am A-OK with keeping Florio out in center field until you go and get somebody. And I'd play Allen out and left. Because you're waiting on Andujar and other guys anyway. And I saw Stanton during batting practice finally shagging some fly balls in the outfield. I mean, what a concept. John Carlos Stanton, what, what is he going to like disintegrate if they put him in the outfield for a game or two? Thank heavens he's going to be out there this weekend. And that needs to happen. Because... The Yankees got to free up the DH spot. When Luke Voigt comes back, I don't want Luke Voigt at first base every day. He is a butcher in the field. I need my defense to be better. And that means Odor playing more, Wameyu staying at first. And then I got Urshela, Torres, who's been better as of late, Odor, and Wameyu. I like the heads-up play from Glaber in this game couple of close calls in that seventh inning could have prevented a run. Glaber, ball hit off his glove. Tough play. Wade, who's not a third baseman. Play that Gio, quite frankly, probably makes. And at Florio, not getting under the fly ball and taking charge and command out in center field and not delivering a strike. Little things are going to kill you when you're compromised. But... It was nothing little about what we saw with Chad Green's meltdown. That was an epic, epic meltdown. All right, we got two to go. As you can see, I'm like 
Not in the best of spirits. It's good being here. I mean, it's great having Saruti next to me. It's very weird. It's the first time we've actually been together here on one of these remotes. And I, I got news for you. We're going to do a lot more of these. Because, listen, I love traveling. I love traveling to games. I love seeing my team basically, you know, implode for the whole world to see. And I got a front row seat. But I like doing this sort of stuff. I do. Two to go. DJ, Phil from Syracuse. I uh, got to love how the Yanks are playing. Uh, huge year this weekend with the Sox. There's one guy I think that would look great in pinstripes come the trade deadline, and that's Charlie Blackett. Lefty swinging, center fielder, can hit top of the order, middle of the order, gets on base, hits for average. Love this guy. He's also 35, so the haul to get him shouldn't be nearly the same as it is for Rizzo or, like, Starling Marte. Um, and I just haven't heard anyone really connect the Yanks to Charlie Blackett. I think he'd be a great fit here. What are your thoughts? All the love. I was always a big Charlie Blackman fan. Because he's a hard-nosed type of player. He's getting up there in age, and he's making a ton of money. I'm pulling the contract up right now because I want to be accurate with this. I think that Blackman contract is outrageous. Outrageous. And you're getting diminished, diminished play. Yeah, you can't, you can't make a move for Blackman. And I'm going to tell you why. He's making 21-5 this year. He's got a $21 million player option for 2022. And with the way Charlie Blackman's playing right now, do you want to play him uh, every day in the outfield, giving him $22 million a year when you know you're paying Aaron Judge? No. Not the sort of guy I'm looking for at this stage. If it were Charlie Blackman in his prime, absolutely. I'm seeing Blackman at 271 with five homers and 44 RBIs. Decent numbers. Not $21 million a year type numbers. And not on the hook for next year and beyond. Can't do that. Last but not least, who do we got? Marathon Jay, how are you, my friend? Alex from Newark. First and foremost, hope you're enjoying your time in Boston. I'm assuming you got a proper jog in, a little Heartbreak Hill, St. Charles River. Um, I'm sure you didn't go without getting a good one in. Uh, before I get to my Yankee question, very quickly, I know you are quickly becoming an expert golfer and have played courses like Daddy's at Bedminster. I'm a new golfer. One or two tips for a first-time golfer, if you don't mind. Now to my Yankees question. I know they've caught a little flame. I wouldn't call it a fire, a little flame. Some are holding out hope like the computer Chris's of the world. Here's my question. You can go on a run, make the wild card, Eh, maybe go on a little run in the playoffs. But the end result is you get Boone. They re-sign Boone, and we pretty much all know what Boone is. Or crash and burn, miss playoffs, suffer a little pain. Now, listen, I'd like number 23. I know you spit him, but we're not going to get him. We know that. You miss the playoffs, and you get Billy's boy, Buck. So my question to you is make playoffs, keep Boone, miss playoffs, get Billy's boy. And also, is this series the final make-or-break series for the New York Yankees? May God bless you, JJ. Enjoy the links. That is a fabulous call from the great Alex in Newark. And that is a very riveting question for me because you guys know what a firm believer I am in Buck Showalter and his managerial ability. It's impossible for me to root against my team, and I'm not going to do that. But if you're telling me two scenarios— Yankees make playoffs, lose to Boston, lose to Tampa, lose in the wild card game, and Boone comes back. No, I'd rather miss the playoffs. If you make the playoffs, you better go and win something. 
Go win a round. Get to the ALCS, at least. Then maybe, you know, I, I, I can at least buy some sort of resurgence. No, if you don't lose in a wild card game, no, I, I want change. Absolutely. This one's supposed to be a year where the Yankees, you know, were barely getting into the playoffs. And if they lose early in the postseason, yeah. The mandate and the expectation should remain the same. So I won't root for it, Alex. I'm rooting for this team to turn around, make the playoffs. But if I'm given those two scenarios, lose first round, miss playoffs and I get Buck, I'll take Buck. Because I think he's a difference-making manager. And I think he has similarities to what I'm seeing in the Red Sox dugout with Mr. Cora. And these next six games, Alex, Red Sox and Tampa make a break for the Yankees. Now, your question on golf, and listen, I am not an expert golfer. I've gotten a lot better. I've made significant improvement. I now can hit an iron with pretty good consistency, which is something I could not do last year. I like where my golf game is at. I can't hit a drive to save my life. I have chipping yips. It's a work in progress. For guys who are really good, it's a work in progress. For guys who suck, like me, it's, it's a daily work in progress. My biggest advice, play a lot. You want to get better at playing golf, get out and play. I try to do it as much as I can. I get scolded by my fiance. She thinks I have an unhealthy obsession, which is fine. Listen, could be a lot worse, you know? Could be a lot worse. My obsessions are watching miserable Yankee games and meltdowns and uh, playing uh, local golf courses all throughout the tri-state area. So I'm an easy man to please. What can I say? Especially when there's a beer in my hand. Now, I'm going to need one after this podcast. Oh, my goodness. I need a drink. <laughs> uh, I don't think beer is going to get it done, to be honest with you. <laughs> Might have to go for the hard stuff. Maybe a bourbon. Bourbon back in. I got to deal with these Red Sox fans. Ah. I'm going to have to see him tomorrow. I have to sit with them in the stands. I got to go to lunch with my buddy Murray. He's going to have this shit-eating grin on his face. And I got to see this Brian Patrick who's going to just, oh, I can't. I haven't heard from Simmons yet, so I wonder if Simmons even watched the game. I mean, I got to be honest. It's a fair question because normally uh, he's like waiting. He's like ready to pounce. So the fact that I haven't heard from Bill in Los Angeles makes me think that he's maybe, uh, you know, on a yacht somewhere. So I was talking with one of the security guards here. You could ask Saruti this. I told him to hammer the Red Sox. I said, I love the Red Sox in this game. Now I was one out away from being dead wrong. Wanted to be dead wrong. Not the case. So I'll probably bet the Yankees tomorrow like an idiot and feel miserable about it. Remember Mr. T, prediction, a whole lot of pain? That's what I'm getting, a whole lot of pain, probably. A whole lot of pain. Now, we have the draft coming up next week. I wish I was in better spirits to talk about it. But our next guest brought the fire, brought the heat. It's one of my favorite analysts in all sports. And I've never had him on a show before because he worked for the Evil Empire at ESPN. The great Jay Billis. New York, New York's debut. How about that? He's up next. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So with the draft right around the corner, let's welcome in a guy that I'm used to hearing on Big Mondays. I hope he is enjoying his summer and now starts ramping up once again. ESPN's Jay Billis. What's up, Jay? Doing great. Hope you guys are too. Jay, let's start here. You've been covering the draft a long time. You think back on your years of covering the draft. Is there a guy that comes to mind where, you know, you're doing your research, you're doing your homework, you fell in love with the player, and that player, like, validated everything you thought? And then some, like, when you think back on years past and, you know, prior drafts and whatnot, is there one guy that kind of stands out above the rest? Uh, I don't know above the rest. I mean, my first draft was LeBron. So when you've got that, you knew that guy's a a hall of famer from jump street. So uh, when you start with that, everything else seems like it's second best, but this is probably this year, 2021 is probably the best draft and deepest I can remember since the LeBron draft. Uh, There may not be a LeBron in it, but uh, there are so many all-star caliber players and then uh, players that, you know, really good NBA players that are going to go through the first round into the second. I can't remember having this many good young players either. We're, we're going to break a record this year for, uh, you know, players one year out of high school being drafted. I, I think the record's 18 and we'll have we'll have 20 or more drafted this year. Does it make it a lot easier this year knowing that we had, you know, a college basketball season the year prior was a total nightmare and mess, didn't have an NCAA tournament, cut off the conference tournaments. And I know that's not the only indicator in looking at players, but you know this over the years, Jay. There have been a lot of guys who go on runs in the tournament, become stars, household names, and they kind of improve that draft stock. Has last year to this year changed anything for you or not really? I, I don't know that it's changed anything. I mean, maybe you've seen a couple players that you would, uh, you know, maybe value a little bit higher because of how they performed in the postseason. But it's pretty rare that you're going to have somebody sort of come out of nowhere. I mean, even even John Morant, you know, we knew he was a top five pick before the season started, and he certainly validated that. And and it was him and Zion that year as the two best players, head and shoulders uh, above everybody else. I think this year, the reason it reminds me of 03 is you've got a, you've got players this year that a number of whom could have been number one picks in another year. And then you've got a number of players that, uh, uh, that are, I don't want to say interchangeable, but, but, you know, you, you, you wouldn't disagree with somebody who says, well, I like Jalen Suggs over Jalen green, or I like, uh, you know, I like, uh, Scotty Barnes over Evan Mobley or something like that. Like I wouldn't pound the table saying that's crazy. Uh, in other drafts you would have. And in 03, you know, after you got past uh, LeBron and Carmelo, you know, your decision was, do you take Chris Bosh or Dwayne Wade? And you can't make a mistake there. Both those guys are hall of fame caliber players. And I think this year we're going to see similar decisions where, uh, there might not be a no-brainer, but um, but you're, you're going to see somebody take someone. You go, well, I like this other guy better, but I can't argue with that pick. You saw him up close in person. Cade Cunningham had this monster year for Okie State. NBA superstar written all over him? Yes. Uh, you know, I think some people have said there, there are no transformational talents in this draft. I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh, I think Cade Cunningham is one of those that, He's the, he's truly a complete player and 
uh, at six, eight with long arms, he can handle it. Uh, he's athletic. He's not a freak athlete, but he's, he's very athletic. Uh, he can, he can pass it. He's got a clutch gene where he makes clutch plays at the end of games, both on offense and defense. And I think he's a very good defender and he can also shoot it, uh, you know, because Detroit has the first pick, he's been compared a little bit to Grant Hill. And I don't think he's the athlete Grant Hill was, I don't think that's even a close call, but he's a better shooter than Grant was coming out of college. He's a 40% three-point shooter and uh, and scores in the mid-range. He can post you. Uh, so he's got a lot of weapons. And, uh, and you know, like, I, I don't know what other people think, but I can't imagine that anybody's going to go above him. Yeah, I think it's clear cut. But a guy I fell in love with, Jay, watching him in college basketball last year, I mean, Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga, what he brought to that team. And I look for guys who have the if factor to him. To me, he's got the effect of every which way. There are just certain intangibles that he brings to the table that I think is going to make him a very winning player in the league. Do you have a you have a player comp at all for Jalen Suggs? I'm not. I've never been good at that. I always wind up going with what a guy looks like, the rather what he plays like. But you know, Suggs is. Uh, I agree with you that I think he's a he's one of those players that in another year could be a number one pick or the number one pick. Um, and he could, you know, he could go fourth, he could go second, uh, he could go fifth. Um, he, he's super talented though. Six, five played you know, quarterback in football and was a legit, like he could have gone to Alabama or Clemson, all that and played quarterback. Uh, but he's a, he's a good offensive player. Like he's almost surgical in pick and rolls and a good passer handles it really well. And he can really get to the, to the basket and absorb a, a bump and then, you know, dish one out. And he's also uh, an excellent defender. You know, he's one of those guys when you watch him on film, you could, you could stop the film and go, well, you know, he's not really in a stance here. He's not in exactly the right position, but he makes a play on the ball. And, uh, and he plays the ball instead of his man. Uh, he's one of those guys that in, is really instinctive in the way he plays. And I think he's going to get, I agree with you, I think he's going to get better and better. I don't know that, I think Jalen Green out of the G League may be, uh, may be taken ahead of him. Um, but, but he, he's the real deal. He's really, really talented. What's tougher for you guy coming out of the G league where, you know, it's not your bread and butter and the idea of you're watching him every night. Like when you're watching big Monday games or you're doing a Saturday night game. So you're seeing them in most normal years or the international player. Like when you're evaluating the draft, what's tougher to kind of figure out as far as gauging a player, the international competition or the G league competition? The international because I, I'm watching it all on film and uh, and I haven't watched the guys for as long, but there are certain guys that you know you know you know are going to be great. You know you knew Luka Doncic was going to be great. Uh, didn't take a genius to figure that out. Is just you know do you take him number one was the issue that year. Um, but I, I would say the internationals. I mean you you know you see the G League guys in high school. And then, uh, and then there's plenty of film available on them, uh, and the international guys too. Like now. You know, you you can see all of their games. You know, whether it's on Synergy, these scouting services. Um, you know, you can't miss these guys. So, it, it maybe twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, you know, you had to scrounge around to find a film of international players. You don't have to do that anymore. It's really easy. The Knicks are picking late teens, early twenties. That a terrific year for Tom Thibodeau and. I get it, Jay. It's impossible to figure out who's going to be on the board for them. But here's what I want you to do for the audience. Find me a guy that Jay Billis has identified as like a diamond in the rough, an undervalued type of player where if he's on the board for the Knickerbockers, 
you'd be salivating a little bit. Is there one guy that I should be looking at here? I don't know if there's one. There's a, a group of them. Um, so if you're in the teens, uh, Chris Duarte of Oregon, uh, even though he's 23 years old, is uh, NBA ready right now and can really shoot it. And a good athlete, you know, he's got a lot of game. Uh, Zaire Williams of Stanford uh, is probably, I don't know if he'll be gone at the end of the lottery, um, but, but you know, good size, can really score, uh, excellent shooter. Um, Moses Moody of Arkansas could be there. Cam Thomas of LSU could be there. Both uh, really good offensive players. Moody's more of a guy that, uh, while he can shoot it, he can really get to the free throw line and long armed, you know, six, six, um, and, uh, James Booknight will probably be gone there from UConn, but, but he's a player that I think is, it shows the strength of this draft that we might be talking about these guys at the end of the lottery, uh, as, as really talented players that, that could be there for, for the Knicks or, you know, other teams that are picking in the teens. I'm glad you brought up Booknight because to me, Jay, Booknight and Davion Mitchell are two guys I loved in college this year. And I'm like on the fence about who I like more at the next level. I think they're both going to have terrific careers. You had to buy stock right now in either Davion Mitchell or James Booknight. Who are you buying stock in? Well, they're both really good. I would take uh, Mitchell first if I were drafting because I think he's the best individual defender in the draft and a draft of really good individual defenders, including... Uh, you know, but Mitchell, Mitchell, uh, Scotty Barnes, I think is one of the best defenders in the draft, but Mitchell's the best on ball defender. And, uh, he's got another gear, uh, when he puts the ball on the deck, he can just blow by people and beat a shot blocker to the rim and, you know, 45% three point shooter. When he transferred, uh, to, uh, Baylor from Auburn, he, he only shot the twenties from three. So he showed an aptitude to really improve there and he's a worker. Uh, so I think he's going to be outstanding. You know, Booknight's more of a scorer and uh, can really shoot it. And, you know, his catch and shoot numbers weren't great at UConn. He was more of a shoot off the dribble guy, but really shot it well at the combine. And uh, and, and he, shoot, he shot it really well in all his workouts. Uh, so I don't think this sort of catch and shoot percentage that he had in college is going to be some sort of barrier to, to drafting him really high. He could go top 10. Uh, that's how talented he is on the offensive end. You've been doing college basketball a long, long time. You've been around the ACC a long, long time. What was the bigger surprise for you this offseason? The news with Roy Williams retiring or the news surrounding your guy, Coach K, hanging him up at the end of 2020 tell? You know, both were surprising. I didn't see either one necessarily coming. Uh, I probably should have seen Roy Williams coming because, um, you know, he, he had given out a couple of, of uh, sort of feelers on it. Uh, or, or clues, but you know, both the guys like Roy, I think is 70 and coach K is going to be 74 or 75, I think in February. So it wasn't any secret. They're closer to the end of the beginning, but, and, and everybody's got to move on at some point. I mean, the game has survived, you know, losing John Wooden and Dean Smith and all that stuff. It'll survive this, but it'll certainly be different. I mean, I don't, you know, I haven't known, you know, basketball uh, since I left high school without coach K in it. Uh, so it'll be a different, you know, I'm glad we have a last year with them, uh, and knowing it's the last year. Um, but it's just sort of the, the natural evolution of things, but I was probably more surprised. Uh, I, I coach K didn't surprise me as much once Roy retired, Roy probably surprised me a little bit more. Cause I didn't, I didn't necessarily see it coming. And Jay is one of the cast of thousands who are Syracuse alum, our guy Beheim. I had buddy Beheim on the show the other day. 
basically said, dad's not slowing down. Dad has no plans of retiring anytime soon. So I, I guess the father time is not going to get in the way of Jim Beheim. I guess he's doing this as long as he keeps feeling good, huh? Which is great. I mean, I think all these guys should coach as long as they want to. It just feels different for somebody like me. You know, I'm 57 and, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles. So when John Wooden retired, he was 65 and I thought he was ancient. And now these guys are 70 plus and still going. And there, there are multiple 70 plus coaches in the ACC. You know, Jim Laranega, Leonard Hamilton, um, you know, Bayheim, And uh, and look, we all joke about Bayheim saying that Julie doesn't want him at home. So he has to keep coaching. But it is pretty remarkable that he has the energy level to continue to coach and, and to do it at the, at the level he does. And, and same thing with Roy Williams and Coach K for as long as they did it. But heck, you know, Beheim recruited me in high school and that was, you know, 1981. Uh, so he's been at this a long time. The idea that somebody to recruit, you know, somebody who recruited me is still uh, still coaching uh, both Coach K and, and, uh, and Jim Beheim is really kind of remarkable. How much do you miss your old pal Raftery doing the games? I mean, I think your liver is probably doing better off. Just saying. Yeah, that, my liver is definitely doing better. <laughs> um, I miss it a lot, but I talk to him all the time. Uh, you know, you miss, I, I, I miss working with him, certainly. Uh, so the two hours of the game you miss, but it, it was the hours leading up to the game and going out afterwards and all that stuff that you really miss, just the camaraderie and friendship of being around somebody who's such a great person. I mean, Raftery is one of the great, I think he's the best that's ever done this, but he's also the best guy that's ever done it. Uh, there's nobody that I've never heard anybody say a bad word about him. Uh, the only bad thing ever anybody ever says to Raftery is, uh, it's closing time. Uh, that that's the only thing that, that the only negative thing anybody ever says to him or about him. And you think about the games that you called over the years and the three of you called that Syracuse-UConn game. I was there. I was doing student radio for Syracuse, Jay. Might have snuck down illegally to the courtside section. Might have taken a uh, Pitt or West Virginia media member's seat. And it was the best decision I think I've ever made in my life. Um, and then I was getting basically booted out of the garden like rafters, getting booted out of the bar because they're like, it's three in the morning. You can't be doing a radio show anymore. Is that the best college basketball game you ever called it's it's one of the most memorable it wasn't the best game i i mean it, it obviously the six overtime thing is something that i've never been a part of before and i don't expect i ever will again the game was kind of unremarkable until you know john cal waved off that devendorf shot and it, and it went to overtime and then it kept building on itself and uh, all of a sudden you know you got you know people tuning in that might not have watched the whole game uh, because it went deep into the night. I mean, I think that's the latest that Madison Square Garden was ever open for business. And uh, it, was, it was really remarkable. We didn't have to use the restroom throughout all the six overtimes, you know, three old guys like us. But um, I don't know that it was the best game, but it was it was the most interesting and the most memorable. And, you know, after it's funny, after the game, you know, we got all these calls from our bosses and people we worked with talking about, you know, what an amazing job we did. It was very nice. I mean, when you get a compliment, you, you should take it because you don't get that many of them. But we were looking at each other going, we didn't do anything. We just watched. We were there when something great happened. That's kind of a lot of broadcasting. But after the game was over, we had gone. I think we had gone underneath. You know, it was the old garden before they had changed it. Uh, back when the teams used to leave the court in the middle behind the scores table. 
And so we went back to get some stats. Um, we, we walked back onto the court to walk out and Bayheim walked out from where the locker rooms were. And, and you remember at the time, you know, it was they're on the bubble and all that. And, and we see him across the court. We are literally the only people in there. And he yells across, are we in the tournament now? <laughs> we just, just start laughing. He just won this great game, and he just wants to snark us about about. Yeah, are we in the tournament now. It was really funny. Do you miss the old Big East? Yeah, um, I do. But um, you know, it was gritty and fun, and there was it was always like a fist, you know sometimes the fist fights were literal, but it was always a, a fight, and uh, and you know there, there was something. Um, there was something unique about it that you couldn't duplicate and it's different now. I mean, the big East is still great. It's a totally different league than it used to be, but the ACC is different. You know, I played in the ACC when it was eight teams and everybody played each other twice and all that stuff. Um, but I think the game is better now than it used to be. It's certainly more fun and, and the players are better for the most part. Uh, we tend to romanticize the way it used to be. Um, I do wish the big East had stayed together, but it was never going to happen because of football. And, uh, uh, so, you know, it was all about money, but while it lasted, uh, the big East was as good as anything going. Final one. Appreciate the time. Obviously college basketball has had a lot of change. You just hit on it with the big East and obviously athletes now, and it's something you've been all over the idea of them being able to make money off of their name long overdue. Hallelujah for that. Um, but with the G League and these looming factors, Jay, I know I'm a guy. Listen, Syracuse is fielding a team. I'm going to the Carrier Dome. It's Syracuse Georgetown. It's Syracuse Duke. I'm in. It does not matter to me. And I know a lot of people, my colleagues, my alum, they're going to feel the same way. You think college basketball is in a pretty good spot, good shape, all things considered here in 2021? Given all the challenges and the really poor leadership that that we've had over the years uh, from the NCAA office, I think it's in as good a shape as we can expect. I mean, I think we're in for a great year because so many really good players have come back. That's how strong the draft is. A lot of guys chose to come back. I think NIL um, and the players being allowed to make money is going to make more players lean towards staying a little bit longer than doing the G League route. Um, but the only way that that I think college basketball is going to compete successfully with the G League for the best players is if it's more welcoming to the best players. I mean, we seem to have taken this attitude, uh, you know, the NCAA and, and the folks in Indianapolis, that if you don't want to be Shane Battier or Bill Bradley, we don't want you at all. And I think that's a really bad way, a really bad attitude to, to have toward the players. Um, but you know, I would worry if we were seeing 10 or 12 guys go to the G league every year, we're going to see, we're going to see some do it, but now that the players are allowed to make money and I think that's only going to increase rather than be diminished or, or, or restricted. Um, I think we'll see more players that are going to go to college and then more players that'll stay a little bit longer because it's in their interest to do so. And if you like me believe in education, um, that's a good thing. Um, you know, if, if players can make money and they stay longer, uh, and get further toward their degree, uh, and establish relationships with, you know, institutions of higher learning, how is that not a really good thing? It's, it's a great thing. Jay Billis, thanks for a couple of minutes. Did you ever think that your golf game would be viral on the internet? Just saying, I mean, I'm taking inspiration from you with the chipping way too often. Just saying. 
Yeah, I thought it would. I thought it would be bigger. I, mean, I figured I'd be, you know, <laughs> especially you. More. You know, knowing your your persona and knowing your gravitas. Yeah, I can understand that. I can understand. I thought that. I, I thought I'd have more. You know, sponsors exemptions to PGA Tour events, things like that. Uh, you know, I'm sure that's coming because who wouldn't want to watch me play? And I just played in the American Century uh, tournament on Lake Tahoe and uh, was exceedingly proud that I didn't. Not only did I not hit a spectator, I didn't kill anybody. Um, so that, that's always a positive. We'll take that. That's a step in the right direction and on we go. Jay, thanks for a couple minutes, buddy. Appreciate it. Right. Great to be with you, John. Thank you. That's the great Jay Billis. Great perspective there on the draft. We're coming right back. So before we say goodbye, we've been having some fun with these FanDuel Sportsbook odds to win the division because we're starting to, you know, wet the beak a little bit. We're starting to set the stage for our NFL futures and, handicapping what we need to handicap with all that wonderful, wonderful information that's in front of us. We did the AFC East the other day. The NFC East odds, Dallas, Washington, Giants, Philadelphia, which now that I'm thinking about it, we hit on as well. Washington and the Giants, two that I would be all over. But I'm going to give you another one I like. AFC North, have this circle. Baltimore at even money. Cleveland at plus 130. Pittsburgh, plus 350. Cincinnati at plus 2,000. Forget about that. The Steelers, I think, are going to have a terrible season. I know Ben Roethlisberger lost a ton of weight. He stunk down a stretch of last year. I don't like what the Steelers did in the offseason, quite frankly. I don't think their offensive line is any good. I think that is a team that is on the decline. I'm in on the Cleveland Browns this year. Now, I worry about Beckham screwing it up. I do. But Cleveland at plus 130, I like the way they finished the year. I love their win at Pittsburgh in the wild card round. I thought, all in all, they gave Kansas City hell divisional round. I know Mahomes got hurt. You could argue it would be a different game. That Cleveland team is built the right way. And it's about Mayfield, who I'm a believer in. I think Cleveland is the play that will win the AFC North. That's one I'm going to be firing on. I don't know if I'm going to take it now or wait. I'll probably take it now because you know what? I think some people are going to be hopping on that trend. Just saying. Cleveland, plus 130 to win the AFC North, courtesy of our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Okay, before we say goodbye, I'm not in love with any baseball this weekend. Jeff Money, he's got no choice. What do you got, buddy? What up, JJ? It's Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. This is going to be for Friday the 23rd. In Major League Baseball, I'm going to take the Brewers minus the 130 over the White Sox. It's going to be Pratella versus Gio Leo. Pratella is 4-1 with a 2.21 ERA at home versus Gio 4-2 with a 4.88 ERA. So, again, I'm rolling with the Brewers minus the 130. All right, JJ, let's go. I'm out of here. Jeff Money on the Milwaukee Brewer train. And, you know, those are two teams that are playing really well in the Central. Those are two teams that have gone about things in a very, very different way. Chicago, yes, has gotten top-notch quality pitching, but they hit a lot of home runs. The Brewers, they're a very resourceful team. Those are two teams that will be playing in October. You know, I want to lean with you, Jeff Money. It's a stay away from me, though. I'm not going anywhere near that game. And somebody's got to explain this line movement in the Red Sox-Yankee game. I'm seeing that Boston opened up at minus 165. That had to be before they knew who was pitching. Because right now I'm seeing it even money with call on the mound. Oh, boy. If the Yankees are only at even money with call on the mound, that has sucker bet written all over it. And I'll probably take it tomorrow because, you know, 
I'm here. Exactly that. I can't say this was a fun show. I will tell you this, though. Unbelievable experience here at Fenway Park. We're going to have a lot more of these remotes coming up. We are going to do a Spotify green room on Saturday, let's say 8 o'clock, right after the Yankees and the Red Sox wrap up. Let's do it right after the Yankees and the Red Sox wrap up, and we'll have the Met game going on in the process. So live watch for the Met game. Yankees, Red Sox finish up. So whenever the Yankees, Red Sox finish up, I say 8 o'clock, that is open to interpretation. It might be 10 because they play seven-hour games. Maybe you get lucky, you get a three-hour game. Right after Yank Sox will bleed into the Mets. Now, did the Mets play at four or seven? See, if the Mets play at four, then that's terrific. They always play at seven o'clock, though, on Saturday night. I'll tell you right now. Seven o'clock. So we'll do a live watch with the Mets. That's okay. We'll experiment. That's what we do. Ton of calls on Spotify Green Room. We're back Sunday. We'll be up earlier on Sunday because the Yankees and the Mets are both playing in the afternoon. And I'm not standing my entire weekend here at Fenway Park. Thank God. Two days is enough. So if you're at the ballpark tomorrow, I'll see you at the bar. I'll buy you a beer. If you're a Yankee fan, we could drown in our sorrows together. Fantastic job, fellas. JJ signing off. Be good, everybody. <laughs>